Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. start with a question, simple question. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? Like, what's that thing that just makes you go, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, for me, um, I just go to this moment with me. It's, it's just joyful for me, just happy. It's a happy moment. It's December, and I'm sitting on the couch with an ice-cold Coca-Cola. I got a fresh bag of jalapeno Cheetos. You know what I'm talking about? Those things are good. And the Dallas Cowboys are winning a playoff game. And I haven't been happy in quite a few years, but that would be great. Um, I have other things that make me happy. What makes you happy? A couple years ago, I, I bought a 1996 Jeep Grand Cherokee. That might not make you happy. You're like, why would you ever do that to yourself? But I have loved it. As a, like, as a kid, I always wanted a Jeep. And then finally, I saved up, found one on Craigslist that I could afford, plus fixed for like four years. That was the only way it was going to work for me. And, uh, I've been, and sometimes I'm just driving that thing. It's got all, all eight, eight Vs going, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like... This is great. I'm just pouring gas out the window. Uh, it's fantastic. But it just makes me happy. It just brings me a little bit of smile on my face. What makes you happy? Um, there's a definition for happiness that I think is pretty good. Uh, I got it in a dictionary online this week. It's the feeling of pleasure. It's a good definition for happiness. And it's, emo- it's an emotion. It's a good emotion. We would say happiness is a good emotion. We like happiness. When people give you a present, makes you happy. You remembered me. And, and when you have an accomplishment, maybe you get a little plaque at work, employee of the month. I did. It makes you happy. That thing just kind of makes you sit up a little bit taller. It makes you happy. Being with friends and people that you like and that you love, it makes you happy. Happiness is a good thing, okay? I want to say that. I want to make sure it's clear. But here's the problem with happiness. Happiness is slippery. Because you can have happiness, but it's like, shoot, I just had it. My happiness... <laughs> And then something happened, and it made me not happy anymore. Um, you should meet my eight-year-old. She will tell you all about that. It's just like, we're here, and then we're gone. You know? We're not happy anymore. And it's, it's just, it's life, isn't it? Happiness can be really slippery because happiness is based generally on our circumstances. I'm happy if the Cowboys are winning in, you know, the playoffs. But if I'm, they're not, I'm not happy. And it's like, if that's what my happiness is based on, it becomes very slippery. Um, here's the thing. I believe that we, we spend so much of our life built around becoming happy, and because happiness is so slippery, life itself becomes kind of slippery when that's, that's our goal. One of the most misleading and unhelpful pieces of advice that you could give someone, and you may have given someone this advice, I know I have, but it's not very helpful, is when they're going through something, you say, listen, you do whatever makes you happy. Don't curse your friend like that. (laughs) Because sometimes the thing that makes us happy is not necessarily what's good for us. And sometimes just seeking happiness makes life end up kind of slippery. Here's the thing. Here's the point we're getting into today. I believe, man, I believe this because I've experienced it with my life, that God has something so much better for us than happiness. So much better. But it's very similar. And it's a word that I think the Bible calls joy. Happiness and joy, if you look at them in a dictionary, they're almost like the exact same word. In fact, they have 
almost identical definitions. You could interchange them in sentences, and you could say that it's fine. Um, and so I don't want to get into like a linguistic or language standpoint in talking about happiness versus joy. But when I look through the Bible and the stories about joy and the teachings we have on joy, I see that there's clearly some level of happiness that's deeper and longer lasting and not slippery. And it's something that I think the Bible writers identify as joy. It doesn't seem to be contingent on our circumstances. It seems to have everything to do with something spiritual and deep inside. So let's talk about that today. Uh, last week, we started a new teaching series called Walk the Walk. And so last week, uh, I stole the phrase from society. You can finish it for me. If you're going to talk to talk, then you better walk the walk. And so what does that mean? In, in the Bible, there seems to be this big dichotomy, like a, like a two-sided coin that we wrestle with. And it's something we call walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. And I kind of gave us some working definitions for that last week. Walking in the flesh is, that's about me loving myself more than I love God or others. That's, that's walking in the flesh. I'm just, it's about me and I'm walking in the flesh. Flesh, touch it, feel it. It makes me feel good. I'm happy. Then there's walking in the spirit. And here we're talking about God's Holy Spirit. We're talking about kind of seeking God's, uh, God's desire for our lives. Walking in the spirit is about putting my desires, my urges second like in the backseat, behind the needs of other people and behind the desires of God. So you see that two-sided coin. And so this dichotomy becomes a conflict within. And it's the conflict we wrestle with every single day. And that's a lot of what we talked about last week. We see this teaching all throughout, particularly the New Testament of the Bible. And uh, we saw it most clearly last week in Galatians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible today, go ahead and grab it. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be there briefly. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we, we, we love to look for the Bible every week uh, to find answers to life's most important questions. And we've got free Bibles we give out in the lobby, so make sure you grab one before you go. But the verses will be on the screen behind me. We unpacked a little bit of Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 25, a pretty big chunk yes, last week. Uh, but in this whole section of Scripture, Galatians 5, 13 through 25, Paul makes us two lists. And he really wants us to understand uh, what does it mean to walk in the flesh? And he makes us a list of what it looks like to walk in the flesh. And what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to like seek God with our lives? And we're not going to recap all those things because we spent a lot of time in it last week. But I love the phrase he had. He says, well, walking in the flesh, he says the acts of the flesh. Do you remember what he says they are? They're obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Like so often we're like, yeah, that's just for me. <laughs> that's just obvious. And so you can go back and listen to that message again if you want to get that list unpacked for you. But then he gives us this second list, and it's going to be kind of the guiding map for the rest of the summer for us, or most of the summer. And this list we've come to call the fruit of the Spirit. This is the list. This is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. He says in verse 22 and following, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine words. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's where we're getting that phrase, walk the walk. Keep in step with the Spirit. What in the world does it mean to walk in the Spirit? I asked that question last week, and here's the thing. I hope that over the course of this nine-week study, we can learn what it really means to walk 
in the Spirit. Walk the walk. And I think what it means is to understand what it means to find these uh, seeds of God's grace planted in our life. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. So imagine God planting in our life uh, these seeds of his grace and his forgiveness and his love. And what sprouts out of our life is this list of things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if we're going to sit here every week, church family, and we're going to say, we're Christians, we're the church, and we're going to talk that talk, let's be a group of people that walk the walk. Last week we talked about love, and, and we, we spent some time talking about that love is basically God's greatest desire for our lives, and the, the whole like, foundation of walking in the Spirit is love. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving other people the way that we would love ourselves. And so this is this, what does it mean to love? This week we're going to take a step into the second word on our list of the fruit of the Spirit, and that word is joy. We touched on it a little bit already. We're going to be all over the Bible looking at some different places because, man, when you look at the concept of joy, you see that it is something that I think people have wanted since the beginning of time. And that is why all throughout the Bible there are various places where we learn what it means to find joy in God. And I think maybe the, the, the best place to start might be in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms is right in the middle of your English Bible, so if you got one, just part it right down the middle. Um, these Psalms are a collection of poetry and songs used by the Jewish nation for centuries, and they were collected into this book, many of them written by uh, kings like King David, King Solomon, others attributed to just kind of like unknown authors at that time. And these became very much the guiding um, the guiding influence on the worship of the people uh, uh, of the Jewish nation. And the cool thing about the books of songs is, is that it really, it covers like the whole gamut of human emotion. I mean, you've got everything from victory and lost, uh, and mourning and death to celebration and excitement and, and joy. And in all this stuff, the common theme is pretty neat. We just did it a little while ago. We're going to have on Wednesday night, uh, a night dedicated to it. The common theme throughout all of the psalms is worship. That somehow when we can take our circumstances and we can point them at God in worship, he will make something beautiful grow out of that. As we look at the Psalms, you see that. Let's take a look at a couple of them. Um, I'm going to start in Psalm 120. A lot of the Psalms are pretty long. Uh, these few I'm going to look at are actually pretty short. And I'm actually going to look at only the first couple of verses. Listen to the scenario happening in Psalm chapter 120 and verses 1 and 2. It'll be on the screen as well. Here we go. The psalmist writes, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from the lying lips, from deceitful tongues. Does it sound like this guy's having a good day or a bad day? A bad day. He's not having a, he's not having a good day. Uh, if you keep reading, it says basically, like, I feel like I'm in a war. And so he's having a, a bad, bad day. But what does he do? Look at the very first verse. It said, I call on the Lord in my distress. Did you catch that the first time? If you've ever just been broken down on the side of the road, when's it, who do you call? AAA, Highway Patrol. <laughs> when's the last time you just called on the Lord and you're distressed? Yeah, you got to call those other people because you're going to need a tow truck. But when it comes to finding like this, this contentment in the situation, it's crazy that he calls on the Lord in his distress. You keep on reading. This day's not going well. Look at verse, uh, Psalm 121. It's the next chapter over. This person says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. And he asks this question. Where does my help come from? Have you ever been here? Like you said this little prayer, like, I don't know where help's going to come from right now. I'm looking for a job. 
can't find a job. I, I can't pay my bills. My kids are being crazy. My marriage is falling to pieces. My, the government scares me. Like, whatever's happening. And you're just like, where does my help come from? Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, well, my help comes from the Lord. And I love this little qualifier he gives. Maker of heaven and earth. God's qualifications far exceed our needs. He can take care of us, but where do we go in our time of need, our time of distress? The one thing that the writers of the Psalms teach us is that life doesn't always bring us warm, fuzzy, happy feelings. And if you live long enough, you recognize, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Life isn't all about being happiness, but when we turn our hearts to God in worship, even when life is hard, it's possible for us to find something even deeper than happiness, joy. It comes out of that. You can see this clearly in, in Psalm chapter 30. I'm going to flip back to chapter 30, starting at verse 8. Listen to this guy. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Once again, someone is just in distress here. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down in the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Here, O oh Lord, be merciful to me. Help me. You got this person, and then they're in this pit, and I think that you can relate to that day. Like, I just feel like I'm in the pit right now. I feel like I'm just out of the game. I just need someone to throw me a rope. I need someone to give me a hand. Where will my help come from? But listen to the follow-up of this, verse 11. But Lord, you turned my wailing into dancing. And you removed my sackcloth. A sackcloth was this, I mean, when, when things went really bad for the Jewish people, it was a cultural thing. They would literally put on like burlap, uncomfortable cloth. They would, because they wanted to be reminded of the, the pain that they were in. They would cover themselves in ashes. They wouldn't uh, bathe. They wouldn't eat. It was just like, I want to remember how terrible this moment is. And so if you lost a loved one, if you're going through a really big disaster in, in, in your life, this is like how they would physically present themselves. And he said, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth. And you close me with joy. Now, do you think this person in the middle of their scenario, like all of the pain from the situation went away? Probably not. We were recently in sackcloth. They're going through this right now. But you've been able to take me out of that state of mind, and you've been able to give me joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And so once again, the psalmist teaches us this thing, like life isn't going to be always happy, but in the process of turning it over to God, we can find something deeper than happiness. We can find joy. Some people have called this kind of joy the joy of the Lord. Uh, and I'm just going to test, this is, the, this is for the old school church crowd. If you've been going to the crowd, you've you, you got to see if you can uh, participate in this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Anybody know that? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That was before we had words on the screen, so all the words had to be the same. Um, but the concept is, when we have the joy of the Lord, I don't have to be strong. Because God's strength is able to carry me through this. It's a beautiful, beautiful concept. Um, and when you have this kind of joy, this is, this is crazy. God is not necessarily going to restore your circumstances to the place where they would have been. But he can always restore your soul to a place of contentment. Take that in. He's not always going to restore your circumstances. If the house burned down, the house burned down but he can restore your contentment. He can help you find strength in that moment, and that joy surpasses all of the understanding that you could have from the situation. It's joy. 
so from here, we've been in Psalms. We've looked at that. We've seen the picture set up. We see, okay, I get it. Life is not always pretty, but sometimes, you know, if we turn it over to God, God can restore our, 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 our confidence and our, our contentment. But let's look at a practical situation. Now, we're going to fast forward to the New Testament of the Bible. Um, we're going to find a guy named Paul, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, at one point, when we meet him, he's a persecutor of Christians. He's like literally dragging people out of their houses, and he's overseeing their execution if they don't de- denounce their faith. Like, this is a bad dude. He meets Jesus. His life completely changes, and then he ends up becoming the missionary to the whole non-Jewish world. It's a crazy thing. Even the church today, we are 2,000 years removed from Paul's life. We are here because of the work and the groundwork that Paul laid in those initial years of the church. It's fantastic. And so he also writes a large majority of the New Testament of our Bible, and most of his writings become instructions to these churches. And so we're going to be looking at some instruction from the church uh, to the church in Philippi. And so our book is called Philippians. If you want to flip over there in the New Testament of your Bible. Um, and in the book of Philippians, it's sometimes is called like the letter of joy. So we're talking about joy today. I feel like that'd be a good place to look. In the book of Philippians, there are uh, something like 14 uses of the word joy or some sort of cognate of the word joy, like rejoice or joyful or something like that. So when you hear that on the, the very surface level, this is, a joy, this is a joy book, right? And you're thinking, the dude who ever wrote this book, he must have been going through some good times. Like it must have been like the best day of his life when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. He was having a good time. He was excited. But as you open the book, you quickly learn that that's not the case at all. Uh, so Paul, as he's writing, because he had been uh, a missionary, uh, he had rubbed some people the wrong way, people who don't like to have their religions challenged. And so uh, at some point he finds himself in jail. He's in prison. And he's being uh, moved up the judicial ladder to, to appeal to a higher and higher court. Interesting story about Paul. He actually was found innocent early on, but he was like, you know what? Through the Roman appeal system, I could actually work my way all the way up to Caesar, and I'd get to tell him about Jesus. Yeah, I want to go back to jail. That's a crazy story. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. That's a true story. That's what the apostle Paul did. And so he's sitting there, and he is writing to the Philippians, but when he's writing to them, this book about largely including things about joy and finding joy, he's in chains. And his circumstances are not good. Um, I've never been in prison. Well, there was that one time in college. That was a big misunderstanding. I've told that story before. I, I did go to jail, but I got out. Was, but I've never been in like jail, jail. <laughs> I've never been in like jail, jail. But I've been in places that feel a lot like jail. Uh, have you ever been to the DMV? Like, it is a lot like jail. Like, half the people are like, they don't want to be there. There's actually really innocent people there. Like, I feel so sorry for the children. <laughs> it's like, your mom just had to bring you. She was so young. Um, and so you get it, right? There are places that we go that feel like incarceration. You're just like, you're isolated. You, you have no, no uh, options to go through. And when we're in these situations, how do we normally act? In a word, grumpy. I don't want to be here. I'm going to take a number and go sit over here. And it's a comment. Oh, how long have you been here? I got here before you did. How come you went to go first? I'm just, oh, I got a simple question. Let me go. Right? When we're in a circumstance where we're not happy, we get grumpy. That is our default method. That's how we do. Uh, we get cranky. Uh, but we've never been in a first century prison. Okay? We've never been in chains like Paul was here. And I just want you to see, hear how he starts his letter as he's sitting in this it's worse than the DMV, okay? So, whew. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. He's talking to the Christians in Philippi. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on 
to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When you're sitting at the DMV, do the words thanksgiving or joy come to mind? Do you begin writing happy letters to people about all the great times you used to have? No, when we find ourselves in a bad situation, we get cranky and we get self-focused. But in this moment, Paul's able to find this joy. I, I know people who can't find Thanksgiving and joy like on Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. Like that's how difficult it is for them to find Thanksgiving and joy. But apparently it's possible because this is what Paul's teaching us here. If you look uh, down at verse 12, we see, you, we see his reason. It's interesting. It's not what you might think. Philippians 1 verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, like getting arrested, unfairly accused of stuff, sitting in this jail, like what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You know what that phrase means? To advance the gospel means to continue to spread the good news about Jesus. So I just want you to know that everything that's happened to me, it's all good because it has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, in what way? Well, Paul notices while he's in change that he doesn't get to do the things he normally has been able to do for the last maybe 20 years. Normally, he's going to a synagogue or to a, a town square or to someone's house, and he's teaching, and he's like sitting with people and discussing you know, philosophical things or religious things, and he's talking, he's talking, and he's preaching, and he's noticed, like, while I'm in change, I don't have this opportunity. But you know what I do have? I've got a captive audience. The prison guards... Yeah, these dudes are like chained to me 24-7 or they're standing outside the room. I don't know exactly the scenario he was in, but they've got to be here. So if they've got to be here, they've got to listen to me talk. And this is what's verse 13. The next verse says this. As a result, it became clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. How do you think it became clear to the whole palace guard? Because that dude's been talking about Jesus. Can you imagine being, uh, I don't know, Thaddeus talking to uh, Julius? <laughs> oh, Thaddeus, uh, I've got to uh, be with Paul today. Who's Paul? You know, the Jesus guy. Oh, yeah, the Jesus guy. Like, he's just it's clear through the whole palace guard why this guy's here, who he is, and what he's about. And even this is even cooler. Not only is he doing it because it's like his own little joyful thing that's going on, it's becoming contagious. Other believers in the area where he is are starting to hear about this. Look at verse 4. Uh, this is... Um, Oh, I think it's verse 14. Yeah, verse 14. It says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see this chain reaction effect? We talked about chain reaction a few months ago. Paul has every right to complain and whine about his circumstances. He does. If we were sitting there across the, you know, the little phone call from him, we'd be like, look, bro, you know, you're not supposed to be in here. If you want to be angry at the world, that's okay. That's the kind of advice we give. Let's do what makes you happy. But Paul said, no, I'm not about that. He sees that in the moment, he has this unique opportunity to shine the light of Jesus in a place that wasn't receiving that light. And so he walks into this scenario with his head up, and he says, how can I find the joy of the Lord? Paul could have chosen to walk in the flesh. He writes all these letters and he could have been like, look, could you please bring me a chicken pot pie? Because, man, they don't have very good chicken pot pie here. No. He says, listen, I heard that you guys are having some problems with this at your church. Let me encourage you to do better in that area. He says, listen, there's these things going on where there's people in your neighborhood that need to know about Jesus. I want to encourage you to go out and share that. He says, listen, as it comes to your families, I want to teach you to love your wives this way, love your husbands this way, and treat your kids this way. As, as he is in chains, he's putting his faith in God. 
And he's finding the ability to find joy and continue to spread the good news. He could have chosen to walk in the flesh, but instead he chose to walk in the spirit. And what he found was not happiness, but joy. And he goes into this long teaching in Philippians about uh, something that seems completely unrelated. But I think today it's totally related. If you look in Philippians Philippians chapter 2, he goes through this whole teaching about who Jesus was. How Jesus was God, but didn't consider his equality with God something he should continue to hold on to. So he made himself nothing, and he becomes a man, and he's obedient to all the things men have to be obedient to, even to death. But through his death, he's going to uh, become the name above all names, and at every knee is going to bow uh, to the throne of Jesus. Like this is, this is Philippians chapter 2. In his little discourse to his friends in Philippi, he wants them to know who Jesus is. And then he says this. This is all the way back in Philippians 2 verse 5. He says that your attitude should be like Jesus' attitude. You should put other people's needs ahead of your own needs. Isn't it interesting that as Paul is sitting here in a situation where he could be as selfish as he wanted to be and nobody would blame him, his teaching he wants to give to the church at Philippi and to us today is that you need to put others first. You need to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider his equality with God something he should continue to hold on to, but made himself Nothing. Some translations say he emptied himself and he took the form of a man. Paul says, look, if if you will act like this, if you will emulate who Jesus is and you'll put other people's needs ahead of your own needs, if you'll put honoring God and his desires for your life ahead of honoring yourself and your desires for your life, look what you'll find. This is at the end of Philippians chapter uh, 2, starting at verse 16. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run in labor and that I didn't run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice. There's that word again, rejoice, root word, joy with you. So you too should be glad. And rejoice with me. Check this. He says, listen, even if my life is forfeit, even if I am being poured out as an offering so that you can learn this message, because where's Paul? He's in chains. I'm glad. And I rejoice with you, and I want you to rejoice with me. He rejoices. He finds joy. What is the difference between happiness and joy? In the dictionary, not much, okay? But if we use the Bible as our dictionary for this concept... The Bible, by the way, is a fantastic dictionary. It teaches us a lot about what God's concepts for our lives are. And if we use the Bible as a dictionary to understand God's desire for joy in our life, it looks like maybe happiness is walking in the flesh. Joy is walking in the spirit. Because joy can happen even when life's not going how we hoped it would go. Joy is about finding pleasure in honoring God and putting other people first. That's the best definition I've been able to come up with for joy. And what's crazy about that is we know that this is true. That's why we have this saying, my man, it's better to give than receive. We know that. We know know that. We're like, man, it just feels good. That's why when you pull over on the side of the road and you help somebody, it might make you late for your appointment, but you're like, that was the right thing to do. And that felt right. It's when you give five bucks to someone who's really hungry and you go with them to get a burger, it might have been your last five bucks, but you're like, you know what? 
that was right. And that was good because joy is about finding pleasure, not in my flesh, but in honoring God with my life and putting other people first. And when I can do that, I'm walking in the Spirit. Because it's a taste of what it looks like to walk the walk. It's a taste of the joy of the Lord, and it's good. Uh, there'd be no teaching on joy that would be complete unless we talked about Jesus' joy. And uh, the clearest place we see it is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible open still, or you know, flip over or scroll down, we're in Hebrews, chapter 12. Listen to Jesus' concept of joy. I just told you about Philippians 2, right? He had all the glory of heaven but he chose to become human. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 2, takes it a step further. He says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Okay, so he's our goal. He's our model. It's the same thing Paul said in Philippians 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy, pay attention to that word, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't go weary and lose heart. Jesus gave up heaven. He became human. He laid down his own life so that we could have a chance to know him. What was the joy set before Jesus at the cross? It was you. He's like, this is going to hurt. He prayed to God before he was arrested. He said, Lord, if there's any other way for this to happen, will you please take this cup from me, please? Why did he endure the cross? It was for the joy set before him that you would know the love of God. The crazy thing about Jesus is that he never asked us to do anything that he didn't do first. He said, I want you to find joy. I want you to find joy. What's joy? Put other people first. Put God first. Okay, Jesus, what does that look like? Oh, well, you remember the thing I did on the cross? That's what it looks like. And instead of finding pity in his moment, he said, man, I'm so excited because someone else gets to see the truth, the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the eternal embrace of the God who loves us. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know, happiness can be so slippery when we're trying to walk in the flesh. We can never find it. It'll be a roller coaster. We can never be happy for long. But joy, it's a gift that God gives us and it lasts forever. And as we learn to walk in the flesh, man, the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, walk in the Spirit. As we learn to walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, when we begin, and it's, it's, it's not instant. It's not instant, okay? The bad stuff that's still happening in our lives right now, it's still there. But it's about a shift of our mind Philippians 2 said, your mindset should be that of Christ Jesus. It's about switching what's most important, priorities. And if we begin to make that shift, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. I want to tell you this. If you're here today and you haven't made the decision to walk in the Spirit. I mean, you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or you're not really sure where you are with God right now. You're like, I've been coming to church, but I'm not sure like, if I'm a Christian yet. I want to tell you this. God is, is, is patient on us. But what He wants us to do is to lay our lives down for Him. 
take the flesh that we were walking in, and as the passage read, we read last week, it said we have crucified our flesh with its earthly desires. We say, look, that's, that's not me anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to live like that. And it says that in, in Romans chapter 6, we, we, we are buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised to walk with new, in newness of life with him. We get that opportunity to experience that new reality, that new life. And then from our life comes this fruit if you're in a place right now where you haven't made that decision, I just want to tell you something. I'm so glad you're here. And I know that God is patient. And what I want to encourage you to do is just come back one more week. Finish out this series. It's a lot of good lessons just from some good things that can help your life grow. Uh, those of us who are already in that boat and have decided to let the Spirit transform us, I want to encourage you. Stop seeking the slippery friend of happiness. But seek the eternally gratifying and spiritually deep act of joy by saying it's not about my circumstances. It's about who I serve. And it's about putting other people first, and it's about putting God's desires for my life first. There's so much more we can say about joy. I want to close out by looking at one last psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 95, uh, and, uh, and it's a big, big chunk of it. And as we read this passage, it's a passage completely about finding joy in the Lord. And I just want you to hear the description of God in this and, and make this a prayer as we close out the day. Psalm 95, starting at verse 1. Come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout about it, the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is great, a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him, and the sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. So come, let us bow down in worship. And let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God will take care of our circumstances. So let's walk the walk. Let's trust him with the other steps. And we can know joy. I'd love to pray for us this morning. God, thank you for all the goodness you give us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to know joy uh, because without you, we would just be chasing, I guess, happiness. Um, Father, help us to be people of the Spirit um, in this world that's so fixated on the flesh and, and new cell phones and new cars and faster internet and more money. Uh, it can be so easy to fixate on the flesh, but Lord, you've given us your Spirit to teach us and to help us know who you are and what you're about. Lord, help us to be not only individually seeking this, but doing it together as a community. Um, that we can look out for the needs of others in this room. We're family here. And so if there's someone in this room who has a need, help us to know about it and help us to act on it. And then help us to also be looking out into the world and shining that light to the dark places and the dark corners of this city and of our world. Thank you for joy, Lord. Joy, Lord and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.